0: My name's Rich. Um, It's great to see you all with us this afternoon. Um, Some of us are away, or some of us went away to um, a conference the last couple of days, sent, um, which I hope was a fantastic time. Some um, of our leaders are still away uh, for the weekend, so please be praying for them. And this afternoon we're going to be carrying on in our Ephesians series, and we're working through the book of Ephesians. Uh, We've been doing it since um, last autumn, um, and we're up to chapter 5, and so we're going to dive in in just a second. Um, But I just wanted to say before that, um, the last couple of weeks, my wife and I actually haven't been very well. Um, We've actually been really sick, Um, and I know that many of you guys prayed for us. Um, People bought shopping for us, people looked after our daughter for us, Um, and we were so loved. And so blessed. So I just want to say thank you to you, Church, for the way that you loved and supported us. It was fantastic, Um, and we we are in such a better place as a result of it. Um, And so, just from the depths of our heart, thank you very much. Thank you so much um, for all your love and care. Um, But let's crack on. Uh, So we're going to jump into um, Ephesians. So if you've got a Bible, um, turn to Ephesians. It's in the New Testament, and the letters written by Paul. Last week we looked at the first two verses um, of chapter 5. This this week we're going to look at the next four verses in Ephesians, which... um should be fun um, but I'm going to read for the, uh, the first 14 verses just to help us set a bit of context um, in terms of understanding whereabouts uh, this part comes um, in the letter the broader flow of the narrative um, and so I'm going to read from um, chapter 5 verses 1 through to 14 it should come up behind me um, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God and today the next four verses we'll be looking at but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving dead and christ will shine on you um i'm going to pray um and then we're going to get into it lord we thank you that this afternoon we can open your word Lord, and we can study and we can look at, um, Lord, what you what you wrote for your body, for your people, for your church, for us. Lord, and we just pray that this afternoon you would give us ears to hear what you're saying. Lord, we pray that we would be um, attentive to your voice. Lord, we pray that you would use me, Lord Jesus, to just communicate your truth this afternoon. Lord, and that it would impact our lives for your kingdom and for your glory. But we don't just want to be transformed for the sake of it. Lord, we want to be transformed so that we can give you more glory so that we can lift your name higher in jesus name amen amen Amen. Amen. well before we get too far into it there 's a couple of if you like foundation principles that we need to um, just unpack before we get into verses um, three through to six um, on the way through you might have noticed they 're pretty hard hitting at times um, but just just to kind of if you like set a bit of a framework um, there 's two things that we need to understand from the book of Ephesians and um, that actually we 've already looked at in previous weeks um, so the first one is that uh, we have been adopted as children. That as um, God's people, the Bible talks about adoption. I was so... Pleased, relieved, um, when a couple of those prophetic words just before um, the break there just came through about adoption, the Father's heart, the love of the Father, just just confirmed our sense of adoption, of who we now are in Christ. Um, And actually if you read through Ephesians, especially the first um, chapter or two, you'll notice that actually our adoption as children, as God's children, actually has very little to do with us. In fact, it actually has nothing to do with us. It's entirely God's initiative. God is the one that adopted us. God is the one that in uh, chapter 1 it says he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. It wasn't for our own good, it was for his purpose, it was for his will. And actually we are just recipients of that wonderful good news. Um, second of all, uh, as we work through the book of Ephesians... Um In chapter 4, verse 13, um, we understand that actually becoming a Christian is about much more than just praying a prayer. It's much more than just an event that happened, that that we gave our lives and we put our trust in Jesus for the first time. Actually, it's about a journey. It's about a journey that we are on individually. It's about a journey that we are on corporately as a church coming through to maturity. In Ephesians 4, verse 13, um, it says uh, i think this will come up behind me uh, there you go um da, 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 da until we all attain to the unity of the faith and so the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And actually becoming mature as believers becoming mature as a church is actually growing into the stature of Christ. That actually as we go on as Christians we grow more and more into maturity we grow more and more into the image of Christ. That's, that's the idea um, of Christian maturity. That as we walk with God we begin to look more and more more like him and so then we start in um, Ephesians 5 as we looked at last week, Um, it says therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and so If you like, Paul then instructs us in how we are then to live. As children, as adopted sons and daughters, how are we then to live? Well, therefore, be imitators. We're meant to imitate God. We're meant to demonstrate what he is like. Um, And if you like, Paul at the beginning here holds up a bit of a benchmark for us. He says, actually, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're not going to spend loads of time in these two verses, did a rather thorough job last week, um, so you can download it off the internet. Um, but suffice to say that if you like, Paul is painting Jesus as our benchmark. He's saying you want to know how to love? Look at Jesus. If you want to know how to le- live, look at Jesus. If you want to imitate someone, imitate Jesus. Do what Jesus did um, walk as Jesus walked. Um, and then he goes on um, into verse 3. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named amongst you as is proper in the saints. And I want to suggest that actually these next two verses, verses 3 and 4, aren't, so necess- aren't necessarily talking about us individually. We'll get to that in verses 5 and 6. But this is more talking about, if you like, the character and the nature of Jesus. What was Jesus like? Because at the start there he starts, but sexual immorality and all impurity it's if you like follows on from the previous couple of verses and so essentially what Paul is saying is but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named amongst you as is proper amongst the saints because it's not in Jesus because we don't find those things in Jesus then it shouldn't be found amongst us as the saints Um, and so but let's just look for a minute at what these things are. Well sexual immorality is a very broad category. It's probably easier to define what, if you like, sexual morality is, and then the opposite is true um, so if you like sexual um, morality the, the biblical um, outline for sexual relations is that it's exclusive to marriage um, that um, it should come from a place of love it should come from a place of intimacy it should come from a place of union of heart and mind where husband and wife have given themselves to one another um, What this means is sexual immorality, if you like, the flip side, is actually incredibly broad. Anything that isn't that is sexual immorality. That's essentially what Paul's saying. So actually, it's it's encompassing everything from domineering or manipulative spouses, um, from individuals that might be sleeping around, um, to people that are stuck in habitual sin. Um, It's it's really broad in terms of this idea of sexual immorality. Um, It's very broad. And then moving on, um, but sexual immorality and all impurity. And impurity is just something that's got in there shouldn't be there. Um, so when we talk about um, impurity, the Bible often talks about impurity um, within, if you like materials, and actually God transforming us and purifying us is about rooting out some of those impurities um, and the way uh, the way we do it uh, with, if you like um, physical materials, so things like metals and stuff, um, we often boil them down melt them down, um, and the impurities begin to rise to the surface, so we can get rid of the surface um, waste, and then what we're left with is a pure material that is actually much more valuable and much more costly. Um, And so at at that point, that's what the Bible's talking about in terms of purifying. It's talking about getting rid of the stuff that shouldn't be there, getting rid of, of, of the nasty impurities that devalue and, if you like, take away from what the material actually is. Um, And then uh, finally, covetousness. Well, we read later on in a couple of verses later uh, where it says uh covetousness, that is an idolater. Covetousness is is essentially just longing after something. Longing after something to the point of greed, to the point of desire, to the point where it becomes all-consuming, where actually all you want is X, Y, Z. And it can come in all sorts of different forms. It can come, it might be a job uh, that we're looking for to find satisfaction, and that might be a particular um, salary or finances. It might be um, a partner or a girlfriend, boyfriend. It might be um, children, if you have children. It might be be any of those things. It might be um, security in physical things around. Um, We can covet things. It's not always necessarily coveting what somebody else has, but it's almost the belief that if we had it, it would make our lives better. If we had it, it would give us more security. If we had it, we would feel better um, about ourselves, um, about our lives. And so actually, what right at the end of this verse, in uh, verse 3, it says, um, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. So this idea that actually these things, none of these things are found in the person of Jesus. It's actually the idea that actually it's almost like they don't even exist. They don't exist in Jesus. They're, if you like, uh, what we have created as a result of our disobedience, as a result of sin that came into the world. We'll talk more about that um, in a little bit. But moving on to the next verse in uh, verse 4, it says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And if you like, verse 3 is kind of quite inward. If we think about those things in verse 3, they can almost be quite sort of secretive, that we could do them perhaps behind closed doors, that it's to do with our character, our personality. Verse 4, actually, it's talking about... um, our speech. It's talking about um, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. It's the way we then communicate with other people. So if you like, verse 3 is inward, verse 4 is looking outward. Um, In James it says in James 3 that the tongue is a restless evil. That actually it's really difficult to control our tongue. We constantly have to be vigilant, we constantly have to be um, ruthless to make sure that actually what we say and the way we communicate is actually loving, is communicating something of the personality and the character and nature of God. You see, James goes on to say that actually what comes out of your mouth reflects what's on the inside so actually if we think about it verses 3 and 4 if we're internalizing these things and then we start to speak our mouth, our speech, the way we talk is a communication of all of those things that are inside and actually if we're not allowing God to go to work on the depths of who we are inside then we're not allowing those things to be rooted out for our lives to then be purified as the Bible talks about um, so that we can come to a place where um, we can replace some of those um our speech if you like with thanksgiving as it says at the end of verse four but instead let there be thanksgiving and so then we move on to verse uh five um And 6, where we see this kind of shift, which is from, if you like, almost the attributes um, of of Jesus, these things that we don't find in Jesus, um, to, if you like, verse 4. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or who is covetous, so those three things again, that is an idolater, somebody that's placed... Things or items or um, whatever securities above Jesus um, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. you see in Romans eight it talks about um, it talks about our inheritance it says in um, Verses 15 to 18. Uh, it won't come up behind me, but I'll just read it quickly. Um, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs... Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And so at that point we've been adopted and the moment we become adopted as children we become heirs. We become heirs with God. Um, And then in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 right at the beginning there it says therefore be imitated of God as beloved Children. So the call on us as children is that now we now live in light of this inheritance that God has for us. For those of us that are children of God, for those of us that have put our trust in Jesus, have received that adoption, for those of us that have done that, we receive an inheritance. Uh, In 1 Peter it talks about an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. Our inheritance is not necessarily of this earth. Our inheritance is eternity with God. Um, It says that it is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us. The flip side to being a child that is adopted, um, we see, if you like, in the next verse, which is that we are children of disobedience. Um, we'll see that in chap- in verse 6 in a second. But it says that those people, um, everyone who is sexually immoral, immoral or impure, who is covetous, um, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. God, And so at that point we have no inheritance. So those, those that partake of those things, those whose lives are marked and characterized by those traits, actually have no inheritance. They don't partake of the inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And then verse 6 serves as a warning to us, really. Um, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so there it is. We have this picture of the children of God, those that have been adopted, and the sons of disobedience. The children, if you like, of disobedience. And now, the Bible's really clear that actually... um, Disobedience ultimately leads to the wrath of God. That's what we see in verse 6. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Um, it, come, it stems right back to Adam and Eve when sin first came into the world. Adam and Eve's initial sin was a sin of disobedience. was a sin of walking away from what they knew God to be instructing them and telling them to do. And so, what happened, what we then see throughout the Bible is that constantly God is having to correct disobedience. We see it time and time again as this disobedience, this sin, works its way into God's people, works its way into the human heart, works its way into humanity. And God is constantly having to bring people back, bring people back, bring people back time and time again. Um, and he's, he's almost relentless with it. He just, he just every time, just brings, brings his people back. Um, <coughs> And then um, it shouldn't really be a surprise given that it happens so often. We can read story after story in the Old Testament of God having to deal with disobedience. Disobedience of his people, disobedience of individuals. um, And it shouldn't necessarily surprise us, but it should cause us to stop and think. And we should be asking at this point, we should be asking a very poignant question. Well... Where do I fit in this? Am I a child of God? Am I a son of God? Or am I a child of disobedience? Am I somebody who actually is characterized by some of these things? Um, And actually, the the truth is that all of us were born as sons of disobedience. We were all born alienated from God. It says in Ephesians 2, um, verse 3... uh, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's who we were. We were children of wrath. We We were disobedient to the point where God's wrath was rightly directed at us, that God had to deal with the disobedience in our life. And so what we actually see is Jesus came into the world and lived a perfect life, and was obedient to the point of death, to, to if you like... where we had been disobedient and done our own thing, rebellious, turned our backs on God, he was completely and utterly obedient to every step, to every word of his Father. We see that in Philippians 2. Philippians 2 verse 8 says, um, And being found in human form, he hummed himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so now this anger that was directed at us, is actually directed at Jesus. Jesus, who was the perfect man who was the, 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 the perfectly obedient man, actually took the wrath, took the punishment that we deserved. And so his obedience, if you like, has been traded for our disobedience. And so now by putting our trust in Jesus, we can actually find peace with God. We can actually receive the obedience of Christ. Which actually is an incredibly powerful thing when you think about it. Because now all of a sudden what it means is these these things, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, they have no hold on it over us. Because now we can be as obedient as Christ. Christ's obedient has been traded for our disobedience. I'm just going to read the rest of that verse in Philippians. It talks about Christ's rescue mission To mankind. Um, So, from uh, Philippians 2, verse 5, it's not going to come up behind me, but if you want to follow along, um, it's Philippians 2, verse 5. Um, If not, you might just want to close your eyes and listen. Even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see it didn't just end when Jesus died on the cross. It didn't just end when he was obedient to the point of death. It didn't just end when his body was finally crushed and he died. But actually, it ended when he was risen again, when he was resurrected, when he was exalted to the highest place. You see, the resurrection changes everything, because that's what equips and gives us power to live a new life in him. That's what, if if we look at Corinthians, which we don't have time to do today, it talks of the power that raised Christ from the dead. is made made available to us. God gives us, God equips us with that power. And so where do we go from here? We've got some pretty stern warnings there in Ephesians 5, those four verses that we were looking at. We've got some really stern warnings um, about what to do. Um, But actually what we notice through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection is that actually by God's grace... Which is our undeserved? Which is undeserved favor? Which is essentially getting what we don't deserve? Where we deserve the wrath of God, we actually receive an inheritance. Where we actually get what we don't deserve, um, we we receive grace. We receive undeserved favor. Um, and it says in Titus, I'm going to read a few verses from Titus as well. I know there's a few verses in here. And this one will come up behind me. Um, but it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works there it is he purifies us all of a sudden those things that sexual immorality that impurity that covetousness it no longer marks who we are by the grace of God we are now marked as children of God. We are now marked as children of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's incredible. It's, it's completely, it's, it's amazing. And just like Hayes was saying at the beginning, we should celebrate, right? It's, 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 it's mind-blowingly amazing when we think about it. But more than that, actually it's grace, not just to call us children of God, but actually it's grace to equip us to live. It's grace that teaches us, that's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. It's grace that's training us to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. So actually when we hit these things, 1 John says that if we claim we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves. When we hit these things, unless we bring them to God, then these things start to characterize and mark our life. But actually if we bring it to God, if we bring it to the cross, if we lay it at his feet, then actually grace is given to us to overcome, to walk in godliness, to renounce um, some of these things. Um, I'm going to pray um, for us. As I was preparing, I just felt um, I just felt stirred. Um, I've been to uh, personal testimony. Um, I've been to um, over the years. I've been to many, 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 many sermons, seminars guys things enough of all of that um, to, 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 to understand two things about the idea of sexual immorality um, and that is one that there's a perceived idea that every guy and I know it's not just guys so don't hear what I'm not saying but there's a perceived idea in our culture that every guy struggles with sexual immorality. And it's just, it's just something that we, we're just drip-fed. Um, you know, even every single seminar is always the assumption that guys are struggling with this. And it's kind of... And I'm, I'm not belittling it but i'm saying what the danger of that is the second thing we fall into not believing we can change we fall into the mentality that actually this thing is always going to have a grip over me i'm never going to be able to shake it i'm never going to be able to deal with it and i just really feel like god wants to say this afternoon that actually um sexual immorality doesn't mark us we're marked as children of god and actually, the power of God that raised Christ from the dead is the power that we can access to put these things to death, to find victory over it, to find freedom over it. Um, and just as I was preparing, I really felt um, just kind of I wanted to pray for grace, um, and I want to pray. Um, I want to pray partly for partly for that, but not entirely for that. I also want to pray um, if there's it, um, particularly. Um, uh, just, just around the ideas of um, that sexual immorality, the impurity, and the covetousness. And I just feel like there's certain people that, for those three things, just, just even as I unpacked them, you just. We're able to identify certain things. Um, and it might, it might be some, it might be all, it might be one of those things. Um, but I just really feel like God wants to um, really just give grace to us this afternoon. Grace to renounce ungodliness. Grace to stand and fight and walk in maturity and see these things put to death. Um, so I'm going to pray. In fact, let's just take a minute. Let's just take a minute, um, just to search our own heart, um, and just ask, just ask, just where you are. Just be asking God to pinpoint things. Just be asking God whether it's um, whether it's one of those things, or whether it's maybe not even related to one of those things. But you just know God's pinpointing something in your heart right now that you need to deal with, that needs to be rooted out, um, that needs to be done with. Um, just, we're just going to take a couple of seconds. Just close your eyes just where you are. If that's you, um, I'd just like you to take a really brave step um, and stand. Um, there's nothing necessarily powerful in the act of standing itself, but what it demonstrates is a willingness to fight, a willingness to access something of the grace that is made available to us. Um, and so if you, if you know that you are struggling um, with one of those things and you need God's grace, um, I just want you to stand. Uh, you won't have to give details. You won't have to talk to anybody. But I just want you to stand where you are just as a declaration of wanting to deal with it, to receive grace from God for it. Lord Jesus, thank you for the grace that is made available to us. Lord, thank you for your grace, Lord, that trains us to renounce ungodliness. Lord, thank you for your grace, Lord, that equips us. Lord, with self-control, Lord, that equips us, Lord, to do battle and to walk in maturity. Lord, and to take steps forward, to take steps upwards towards you. Lord, we just pray right now, Lord, for grace to be given to each one of these people that have stood. Lord, you know the depths of their hearts, you know why they've stood. Lord, and we just ask... Lord, that you would do a mighty work. Lord, we pray that they would know victory over impurity, Lord, victory over sexual immorality, victory, Lord, over covetousness, Lord, whatever it might be. Lord, even if it's something unrelated, if it's, Lord, victory, Lord, in relationships. Lord, we believe you, Lord, and we just, be- Lord, we believe you for the grace to fight. Lord, we believe you for the grace to overcome and to put these things to death. And so, Lord, I just pray right now for my brothers and sisters right across the room Lord I pray equip them Lord bring people alongside them Lord to support them Lord to um, Lord just be um, in twos and threes confidence Lord um, accountability partners discipleship groups whatever it is Lord bring people alongside them Lord that that, that can help them fight Lord that can equip them to do battle with the enemy and see these things put to death Lord thank you that through their adoption Lord Jesus that there is no um, Lord there is Lord, it has no hold over them. Lord, they are marked and characterized, Lord, as children of God, as heirs of the promise. And Lord, we just pray, God, that you would do a mighty work in their lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.